Genesis chapter chapter 29 and then moving into chapter 30 today as well. We, we read a portion of this last week, but I want to cover it again, uh, overlap again, because I wanted to bring through a, a, another thought from that. So we're going to start. So you, you may remember that Jacob had wanted to marry Rachel, and he worked seven years to marry her. And then on his wedding night, the father of the bride took the other sister, not Rachel, you know, wrapped up and everything, brought her in at night. He married, he, 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 he slept with the wrong woman that night, so he, now he had this other wife. And then he says, hey, what's going on here? I worked for the, your, your younger daughter, not this one. He says, no, you got to take this one too. And, and uh, so, so he ended up having both wives. So uh, let, me, let me just mention something. Every instance in the Bible, every instance in the Bible, when a man had multiple wives, he had marital, marital troubles. Always. There is not an instance in the Bible that is covered where people had, had uh, um, uh, multiple wives where, when they didn't have trouble. And so we're going to see, we're going to see the dysfunction that happens in this. And remember, she was, she had to have been complicit in this. The older sister, Leah, must have been complicit in this because she's in the tent with this guy at night. And the only way that this could work is if she doesn't speak. You know, if she doesn't speak, then, then it might work because if, if it's dark and you can't see, and, uh, that's the only way something like this could work. So she was complicit in this deception of the, of, of her father. And where Rachel was in the midst of this, it's hard to know. Uh, she may well have been held back from doing anything. We just don't know. The Bible's silent on it. There's several points that the Bible is silent upon, but it gives us plenty of things to think about. So we're going to start reading from verse... Let's start reading from uh, uh, verse 26. But Laban said, It is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week with this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. So he'd worked seven years for the first wife, and then he, he got the wives and he had to work another seven years. So that's what happens when you, when you go to, to, to a, try to go into a marriage without having family behind you to prepare a dowry and all of this. It's very good to have family behind you in this, but he was just kind of sent off on his own. And he had, he had nothing with him for dowries, so he was... He was uh, sort of an indentured servant for many years. Verse 28, Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel, and indeed he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So this is in, in now reading Genesis 29, verse 32. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. And she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard and that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she, so she named his him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he, she, 
therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Okay, so it says, the Bible says that he loved Rachel, he loved the younger one, he didn't love the older one, and in fact it says that he loved Rachel, he hated Leah. But that word hate is always used in comparison. It's, and and uh, uh, so it turns out that God looks upon the one who is unloved. God looks on the one who is unloved. He looks upon Leah. And it says in verse 31, Now the law, Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. It is really amazing what God does. God looks at the unlovely. God looks for the ones that are not loved, and he reaches out to them, and he individually goes to them. God is forever for the underdog, forever for the one that's, that's in pain. God is for that one. And, and the New Testament tells us that. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, 1 Corinthians 1.26 says, For consider your calling, brethren. So he's speaking to us. He's saying, consider your calling. He says, consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before the Lord. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason that you're a believer is God chose you, and there's very little chance that God chose you because you were worthy to be chosen. He didn't choose you because of your worthiness. He chose you because of your unworthiness. He goes after the underdog. He says, for for consider your calling brethren. So he's speaking to believers, not unbelievers. He says brethren. That means believers. There were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. God has chosen you, not because you were wise, not because you were mighty, not because you were noble, but just the opposite. God reaches out to the lowly. This is what God does. I look at my own life and people look at me, oh, you must have been always been so smart, you so this, you so that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, you, you just don't even know. And, and, and all these, these struggles that we have as people, God reaches out to those of us who have struggles. God reaches out to those of us who are not, who don't generally think of ourselves as being mighty or noble. God reaches out to us in this way. This is exactly what he did with Leah. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Do you know what, want to know why you're chosen? Because you're foolish. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. If you have been chosen, you've been chosen because you have been deemed foolish in this world. That's why God chose you. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God has chosen the base things of the world. That means base, basement, the lower level. God has chosen the base things of the world. And the despised, God has chosen the things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. God has chosen the despised. That's who God has chosen. I see this in my life over and over again. I was, I was talking on the phone just yesterday. 
Saturday in my office to some businessmen. And they were, they were like, how do all these, these new technologies come out of your group? We just can't understand how you get in all these things. And I, and I said, because God has done this. God has done this. I said, you, you know, my colleagues sometimes will laugh at me that, that I have this faith in Jesus Christ. Because in the sciences, faith is not looked on as a glorious thing. Oh, he's a man of faith? That doesn't fly well in the face of scientists. That's not an admirable quality. And so they, they, they will speak of this as if it's nothing. And so what God does is he puts it right back in their face. He says, what about this guy? What about this guy? This is what I am just sitting in this amazing place. And God pours out upon me all this blessing. It is not because I'm so smart. It is just the opposite. It's because I'm the base things of the world, the foolish of the world, and the despised. God has chosen me. The things that are not, that he might nullify the things that are. That he might show forth his power. This is exactly what he's doing with Leah. He took the one who was unloved. He took the one who was ill-equipped. He took the one who had weak eyes. It says of Rachel that she was beautiful of form and face. That's why she was loved by her husband. It says of, of, of Rachel that she had weak eyes. Whatever that means. It may be that she was nearsighted. It may mean that, that uh, uh, her appearance wasn't... But it said nothing good of Leah's appearance. It spoke only good of Rachel's appearance. And so God reached out to the one who was weak. If you are weak, if you are struggling... If you are going through things and thinking, why is all this happening? Just remember, you are the very one that God selects. He is reaching out to you. That's what God does. God does this. He reaches out to the one who's in pain. That's what God does. He reaches out to the one who is in pain. He reached out to to Leah, and then Leah starts being drawn to God. And so she says... It says in, in verse 32, Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. The Lord has seen my affliction. She in her marriage was unloved. The Lord saw her and he reached out specifically to her. If you are in a marriage and it is, it is a, say it's a hard marriage, just remember God loves you all the more. All the more, he's reaching out to you. She was unloved in a marriage, found herself unloved. And she says, she says that, uh, so she, she bears this son, Reuben. So she has this son, which she names Reuben, because he has seen my affliction. God sees. And she uses, it says, because the Lord, the Lord. This word, Lord, that we have in, low, in, in, in capital letters, all capital letters, that means that's Yahweh. That's his personal name. She has personalized the Lord. This is not like saying to somebody, Godspeed. You know, why is it so, you know, it'd be very different if you said, the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. They'd be like, what's this guy talking about? You know, you, you personalize God. That's what she was doing. She called him by his personal name, Jehovah, Yahweh. She was really trying to get close to God. And she says, the Lord has seen me. Then she conceived, she bore another son. And he says, because the Lord, because Yahweh has heard that I am unloved. Because he's heard that I'm unloved, he gave me this son. And so he heard me. And so she named him Simeon, which means hearing. Again, she's, she's coming to God and 
crying out to God that I want to be loved by my husband. And still her husband is not loving her. But God loves her. God zeroes right in on this woman. This is just like our Lord. He doesn't favor the mighty. He favors those who are hurting. Are you hurting within you? He favors you. In that moment when you're hurting, in that moment when you're lonely, He favors you. She conceived again in verse 34. She says, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she named his, she gave him the name Levi, which means joined. And then finally in verse 35, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise Yahweh. Therefore she named him Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Judah meaning praise. So after the three sons, nothing happened. Her husband still didn't love her. The fourth son, she just says, I'm just going to praise the Lord in the midst of this. I will praise the Lord in the midst of this. And again, she calls on the name of Yahweh. Then she stops bearing. It seems as if she stopped bearing, not as a natural phenomenon from from, uh, becoming uh, um, unproductive, but it seems as if her husband stopped sleeping with her. And we'll see why in just a minute, because he did stop sleeping with her. And she had to bargain to get, get him to come back. In verse 30, it says, Now Rachel, now when Rachel saw that, that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister, and she said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. So she sees her, her sister bearing, she becomes jealous, any time a man had more than one wife, it was trouble. It was trouble. It just, just was always trouble. That's the pattern that God sees us. God has, God shows us. It's just trouble when they, they are, are, um, there's more than one wife in the scene. And she becomes angry and she says, give me children or else I die. The irony of this is she is going to die in childbirth giving birth to her second second child. Then Jacob's anger burned against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? You know, so, so she says this to him, like, you know, give me children or else I die, as if he has some magic that he can do. Then he says, Am I in the place of God? And it says his anger burned against her. What we're going to see and what I want to, so we, we focused in on what God does with the lowly. Now I want you to focus in on dysfunction that comes into families. Remember, Jacob's a good guy. This doesn't just happen to bad people. Jacob is a good guy. He didn't go into this with the intent of just saying, wow, I hope I have a terrible life. I hope I have a terrible marriage. I hope everything falls apart. No, nobody goes into marriage like that. But a lot of marriages end up like that. A lot of marriages do. And this guy, this good guy, is caught up now where he's got these two sisters. Now they're bitter against each other. And he's losing it too in the midst of this. So you take a good guy and he says, it says that his anger burned against Rachel for her saying that, looking to him like this is somehow his fault. So his anger was burning against her. Then it says... It says, uh, um, 
Now, as I read this, I just, we're going to read a long passage here, and then we're going to, we're going to go back and, and just look through the, the complications that came in their life. Chapter 30, verse 3. Then she said, Here is my maid Bilhah, go into her, that she may bear on my knees, that through her I too may have children. So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me and has indeed heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore, she named him Dan. Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. So Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and I have indeed prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. Then Leah saw that she had stopped bearing. She took her maid, Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah, na- Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad. Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, happy am I, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Now the days of the wheat harvest, now in the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is, is it a small matter that you take my husband and now you should take my son's mandrakes also? So, so Rachel said, Therefore he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came in from the field in the evening, then Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has given me my wages, because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore a sixth son to Jacob. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with good gift. Now my husband will will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God gave heed heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord give me another son. Okay, so there's a lot of complexity there. Let's just go over these sons here. Um, so you've got, you've got Leah. She bears Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, those six sons, and then Dinah, a, do- a daughter. And then you've got her handmaid, Zilpah. She bears Gad and Asher. And then Rachel is good, just bears Joseph, and later on she's going to bear Benjamin, and then she'll die in childbirth while bearing Benjamin. And her maid, Bilhah, bears Dan and Naphtali. So those are the twelve sons. Little did they know that those twelve sons were going to be those those twelve sons were going to be the uh, the the children that were going to name. The, the, be the offspring of the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and that their names would become part of the uh, of actually the temple, 
the temple was, was going to be formed and they were going to become part of the temple. The, the 12 gates of the temple were going to be named after uh, those 12 sons. So even, even Leah had no idea what her sons were going to become. But you, I want you to look at the dysfunction that's coming into this marriage. So Rachel's not bearing. She gets all upset and she says, take my handmaid and have her bear. Now, this was socially acceptable at the time. It was socially acceptable for a man to have two wives at the same time. It was socially acceptable if a woman could not bear that she would give her handmaid to bear in her stead. That was socially acceptable. In our society, that would not be acceptable. But in their society, it was acceptable. There's other things that are, are, are in our society are acceptable, like uh, uh, where, where you know you have this, this, this implantation where they take a fertilized egg and implant it in a surrogate mother. You know, I'm sure if we told Jacob about this, he'd be like, I can't believe that. You know, so, you know, there are things that our society accepts, but that was permissible at the time. But every time there were multiple wives, there was trouble. Now he's got a third wife. It says, it says that uh, um, in verse 4 of, of chapter 30, So she gave him her maid Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. So now he's got three wives. So he, he wanted one, he ended up with two, now he's got three. And I'm telling you that Bilhah is never going to look Rachel the same way. When, when, and we saw that with Hagar. As soon as Hagar had born Ishmael, she never looked at Sarah the same way. And so now he's got Bilhah. Well, why would he take Bilhah? He agreed to it. I mean, he could well have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But he did it. It was socially acceptable. Just because something is socially acceptable doesn't make it right. So anyway, he, 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 she, so Bilhah ends up uh, bearing him two sons. Rachel names the first one of them Dan, which means vindicate. Dan means judge, or in this case, vindication. Then she bears another son, and she says, she says uh, in verse 8, So Rachel said, With mighty wrestling I have wrestled with my sister, and I have indeed prevailed. Wow, that's a pleasant home. So you've got these two wives wrestling with one another, and now you've got You've got this, this other wife who was a handmaid, and she's born two sons. And these people are, 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 are so, so the name Naphtali is given. Naphtali meaning wrestling. So Leah sees this. She says, well, I'll give him my handmaid. If he won't sleep with me, I'll give him my handmaid. And, you know, this, this is natural. I mean, if a, if a man has another chance and it's acceptable, okay, you want to give me your handmaid? All right, I'll take her. He... He ends up sleeping with her. She has two children. And you see now Leah had gone from crying out to the Lord and now she's in a very difficult marriage and she starts pulling back from the Lord. You don't see anything about praising in the name of Yahweh anymore. Never never anything like that. So it says in verse 11, Then Leah said, How fortunate. So she named him Gad, my fortune. Gad meaning my fortune. Nothing about Jehovah in there. And I've seen this in marriages. I've seen marriages where, where there's trouble in the marriage and one person really starts pressing into the Lord. But the other person does not. And then what happens is that person that was pressing into the Lord is slowly pulled away from the Lord by the one who is not. 
It's very easy to pe- see people pulled down by people who don't seek the Lord. And then, then Leah's, Leah's maid has, Zilpah has another son, Asher, and again she says, happy am I, for women will call me happy, so she named him Asher, which means my happiness. So again, nothing about the Lord. You even see Leah pulling away from the Lord. You see this tension cropping up. Now it talks about this, this event that Reuben, so Reuben's just a little kid. You know, all of this is happening in a period of about seven years. It's not, I mean, there's a lot of kids being born. I mean, they're, they're, you, get, you get one child into your home, everything changes. It is reproducing really, really quickly. Now, he's got, he's got four women bearing for him, and they're going to have, they're gonna have uh, 11 children in about seven years. You know, so there's, there's a lot of action in that home, and a lot of crying babies, and uh, um, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people being kept up at night. And it's, it's like a daycare center in there. Oh, you know, it's a rough place. And so there's a lot happening. And so this little boy, Reuben, maybe he's five or six years old, he goes out, he finds some mandrakes. And five-year-olds find all sorts of things. And, and mandrakes are, are believed to be a sexual stimulant. He finds those. And Rachel says, give me those mandrakes that your son found. And Leah says, says to him, uh, um, and she said in verse 15, is it a small matter for you to take my husband and you would take my son's mandrakes also? So she said, you've taken my husband. I mean, think of the unpleasantness in this home that's happening. And I'll tell you, you can be a very good person with absolutely no intent to go into a difficult marriage. And I've seen a lot of good people go into marriage and things start off wrong and they get more and more wrong. This started off wrong because the father-in-law was deceptive. The father-in-law was deceptive and he put Leah in the tent rather than Rachel. He deceived him. So it started out based on deception. And then Leah was complicit in the deception, never spoke up that whole night. And he didn't discover this until the lights came back on in the morning. And, and then now you see all of this trouble starting and you see this progression. You never see Jacob naming any of his children. You wonder, where is he? There's a lot of good people, a lot of good men that go in with good intentions and they start, start pulling back from the family. You know, they can make babies, but they're just pulling back from the family. And these are not bad men starting out bad. They never went in with that intent, but they, they've never really learned how to really uh, uh, spend, spend time with the family. You never see Jacob naming any of these people. It's always the wives. There's no participation of Jacob in this. And so she says, she says, give me those mandrakes. She said, I'll give you the mandrakes if you let me sleep with him tonight. So in other words, Leah has to get the permission of Rachel. Rachel controls her husband. You know what this is called? This is control. This is usually called a pimp and a prostitute. Rachel is, is controlling who this man can sleep with. Rachel is, is, is pulling all the strings here. She says, she says, no, uh, um, and, 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 uh, so Rachel said, therefore, in verse 15, he may lie with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. And you see all of this, this exchange here going on, which is crazy. 
when Jacob comes in from the field in the evening, now Jacob was working very hard, and we're going to see documentation of that, how hard he was working, building up these flocks for his father Laban. He comes in in the evening. Then Leah went out to meet him and said, in verse 16, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. He wasn't sleeping with her anymore. But now she hired him with the son's mandrakes. How'd you like to be in that home? I mean, that is a very difficult home. Very difficult home. Troubled home. And God gave heed to Leah, and she conceived and bore a son. So she ends up bearing a couple of sons. Again, it doesn't win her husband's love. And then eventually she she bears a daughter named Dinah. So she has all these sons, and, and, and then she has this daughter named Dinah. Dinah is the only daughter that is named. You say, how could they have all these sons and, and only one daughter? We learn in, in, in Genesis 37, verse 35, Jacob had other daughters. Other daughters are going to be born to him in the future years. And it says his daughters came to comfort him. And so he had other daughters, but they're not named. The only reason Dinah is named is because of an incident that's going to happen with Dinah, Dinah later on. And then God remembered Rachel. And so it's interesting, it's interesting what, what uh, uh, Leah said. It said, it, it says um, in, verse, in verse 18, it says, Then Leah said, God has given me. Again, she's not saying Jehovah. She's not using the personal name anymore. You see she's drawn back. She says, God. God has given me my wages because I gave my maid to my husband. God is paying me back because I gave my mate. This was a sacrifice on my part, and God is now rewarding me for this. You see how she's also getting this, this understanding of God, which is not proper, which is very common. People get an understanding of God, thinking God is one way or another, and he's not really that way. I want for you, in your marriages, I want for you to have the joy that I have in my marriage. I really do. I want this for all of you. I love my wife. We've been married almost 38 years, and I still love her so much. I really do. I just love to reach over and hold her hand and just, and it, it, it bothers her. It, it's like I'm a, a pest to her because I'm, I'm always just, you know, picking on her and, 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 and touching her and, and just, and, and, and wanting to hug her. But I would love for you to have that in your marriage. I really want you to have that. I don't want you to have what's going on here in Jacob's life. You could be a very good guy. You could be a very good woman and caught in a bad marriage. This is why we need instruction in marriage. One guy came to me, he says, you know, you shouldn't talk about marriage so much. You know, students just roll their eyes and they're not interested. So really? Like, what... What topic do you need help on? What is it that, that you need help? You want me to speak just in generalities? God is very good. Jesus loves children. Well, what would you, what would, you, would you like me to talk about? Don't you want me to talk about where life is? I want you to have joy. And the Bible gives us instruction. The Bible gives us instruction on this. Look in, in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. 
If this doesn't put the fear of God in you, I don't know what, what will. He says the marriage is to be held in honor among all men. Be, be, be held in honor among all. The marriage bed is to be held in honor among all. Jesus, we read this verse last week in Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said that, that what God has joined, let no one separate. He has made them male and female. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said he made them male and female. And he says a man is to be wed to his wife and the two become one flesh. We read that last week. Here it says the marriage bed is to be held in honor among all. You know, a man, a man can be nice to the neighbor lady next door and take out the trash for the neighbor. But there is something that is reserved for a marriage. And that is the marriage bed, and it is to be held in honor among all. I want you to get this right. I have on my website the uh, scriptural sexual ethics teaching, a six-part teaching. Please listen to that. Start in part one, go through part six. It's, it, it's, it's on, on the audio files, the scriptural sexual ethics. Get that right. Because you, what you see here in this family, with Jacob's family, where the, the marriage bed is like hell on earth. I mean, here this guy Jacob is told where he's going to sleep among these four wives because he's got this one irate wife who hasn't yet had a child and she's controlling him. I mean, this can't be good. But did you know the bedroom can be hell on earth in a marriage? And if you don't believe that, it means you've never been married. If you've been married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It can be hell on earth. And that's why the, the one of the parts in that six-part series, but you've got to start in part one and work your way to part six, is, is how to change the marriage bed from hell on earth to heaven on earth. I want you to get this right. And it says that fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Fornication is any sexual act that is improper. It can be bestiality. It can be sex outside of marriage. Yeah, I said it. Because the Bible says it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. Our society says it's okay. In fact, it's, it, it, it glorifies it. But the Bible says it's wrong. It is wrong. I'm not judging you. Let the Word of God speak to you. My life is not totally clean, and I, and I share that on that, that website, in that teaching. But what you see here is that fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I was speaking to a, a woman, and, and she, was, she was telling me she's, she's been married for, for years. Well, she's been with this guy. She said, well, we're not married, but we're, we're together for years. And I, and I looked at her, and I said, um, are you monogamous? And she said, no, but I, I enjoy seeing him be happy with other people and we have an open marriage. Well, you're going to have a difficult marriage. You're going to have a real difficult marriage. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. And, and, uh, and they had an open marriage as if it's okay in our society to do that. Any time we violate God's perfect way, there is trouble regardless of what society says is okay and not okay. In their society, it was okay for a man to have multiple marriages 
it was it, all at once, multiple wives at once. It was okay for a man whose whose wife is not bearing to to, to uh, a woman to offer up her handmaid to the husband as a surrogate wife. It was okay, but it was always trouble. Ask Abraham about the trouble that he had with Hagar, a very godly man. It was always trouble. You go against God's ways, you will have trouble. And what I want for you is not here, I'm not here to judge you. I want the best in life for you. I want the best in life for you. God spells it out, what we are supposed to do. He has this for us. He has these ways for us. If you look in 1 Corinthians, um, no, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's look at, at, at verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? This is right where, where, where life is. Because so often you'll meet a person who does not know the Lord. Who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you think, well, it's okay if I marry them. It'll be alright. They'll eventually come. The Bible is warning you. It says, how do you know O wife, whether you will save your husband. Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You don't know. And I've seen this many times. Remember, I went to college at the age of 18, and I've never left. And I am around people getting married all the time. I've seen marriages. I've gone to more weddings than you guys will ever go to. Because I work with young people. And I see so many marriages. Every time believing, believer marries unbeliever, it is Trouble. Why? Right here. Because God warns us. God warns us. It is trouble. If you are dating an unbeliever, I urge you to break that off before your heart gets too fixed on this thing and it's impossible to break off. I urge you to to just listen to the Word of God. There is instruction in the Word of God. The world will say one thing, The Bible says another. The Bible is right. The world is wrong. What the Bible says will bring help in your life and bring peace. Marriage is hard enough without going against the will of God. I've been married, married, like I said, almost 38 years. It's not that our marriage has always been easy. It hasn't. But divorce for us was never an option because we knew God brought us together. We had so much input from other people praying for us as we were trying to discern, is this God's will for us? I mean, we had pastors around us, we had family around us, and marriage is hard. If you don't have the two families on your side, it's all the harder. It's all the harder. So you pray that there be family unity because you're uniting two families. Marriage is hard. If you don't have the families on your side, it's all the harder. I encourage you to pray about this and get input from people around you because, or else you'll get this thought in your mind, oh, maybe I married the wrong person. Whatever trouble that Shireen and I have gone through, I've never questioned whether I married the right person. I had so much good counsel around me. God would have spoken. God would have made it clear. And we've had lots of disagreements, but we've never disagreed. Shireen and I have never disagreed on what it means to seek God. What it means to seek God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've never disagreed on how to raise the children in the fear of the Lord. We've never disagreed on that. We've disagreed on other things. We've disagreed on money like all the time. 
I'm Jewish. I mean, we disagree on money all the time. I like to save money, and, and my wife doesn't. And, and so we disagree all the time. And, and, uh, but on the fundamentals of who we are in Jesus Christ and how we're going to raise our children, we have never disagreed. Even at times when you know, things weren't flowing together, we still went to church. I mean, we just still went to church together, and we sat next to each other. We might not be holding our hands in church, but we were together. And we were going to bring the kids together in church. We were going to work this thing out. Going to work it out. I want you to have a marriage that lasts. I want that for you. Look at how destructive it can be when you go against the ways of God. Look at how destructive it can be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercies. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, I pray for the believers who are here that they would learn from your word what it means and that they would follow your word clearly where there would be one husband married to one wife and good and firm marriages here. Father, I pray that you would do that. And if there's been brokenness, that there would be return and reconciliation. As the scriptures say, let her be reconciled to her husband. Or if the man is left, let him be reconciled to his wife or remain unmarried. And Father, I pray that you would so work in these young people that they would have healthy homes where they could love their spouse and where their children would grow up in the care and the nurture of a good home. And Lord Jesus, I pray for the unbelievers who are here, the people here who don't yet know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you draw them, that this day the message of the cross, the message of the gospel would go forth to their lives and draw them to Jesus. Father, they have, they're totally unable to obey the word of God if they don't yet have Jesus within them. Father, draw them to Jesus, I pray. Save souls today, I pray. And I offer these young people to you. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen.